Hey there, just wanted to give you a heads up that the sound quality in our first interview with Milepost's Dorothy Beale isn't great. I apologize for the scratchiness, but I feel her anecdotes and insight are worth putting up with less than ideal sound. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I am joined today by my best running friend, Molly Williams. Hello, Sarah. Hello. What's it been? Maybe an hour and a half since we've seen each other? Maybe two? That's right. Because <laughs> we ran together today. In the cold dark. Yes. But yes. the sun came up. The sun did start to come up. Mm-hmm. We have started to notice a change with uh, that the days are getting a little longer. And when we finish up at 7 a.m., it's starting to show promise of a day. Yep. And boy, Miller wants to get inside. I tell you, Alex, go upstairs and let him in the back door, I think. Don't trip over any wires. All right. right. He'll love you forever. So, all right, Molly. When I got home, I texted you. You had some homework to do. Yep. It was time to tally the January totals. It is because it's February 1st. So, drum roll. I I know you've got more than me. Yeah. You got out more in the daylight than I did. So, go ahead. You go first. And I also want to point out that we had a lot of um, the snow and ice, as I've talked about on the podcast. Yep. So, this was all uncovered when the snow and ice melt. It was all uncovered, but also it was covered up for numerous days. Yes. And I I don't want to... Spoil surprise. So go ahead. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. I found $3.89. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Now, I found $1.55. Oh, that's great. And yes. And I went and looked at uh, the jan- my monthly totals for last year and the year before, because that's when I've started totaling them up, you know, every month. Uh-huh. And it is the most money I have found in any one month, minus the $10 bill I found. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay well molly i can beat i can even beat that stat i didn't start keeping monthly tallies until last year Uh but in all of 2015 Uh i found 388 so i found one more cent in january 2017 Uh than i did in all of 2015 so we both had a good month we did it was a Mm -hmm. banner month Mm -hmm. and um yes and just like running times you can't really compare to each other (laughs) you have to look at your own totals and uh, be glad with what what you can do and proud of yourself. And yes. we'll let the cat in. <laughs> he says, oh, that microphone looks very appealing to rub myself on. <laughs> so, oh, Milsey, your butt is awful cute. And don't step on the computer. <laughs> oh, whose bright idea was it to let the cat in? Oh. So, so yeah, so it was a banner month. And our part of our theory is that uh, change fell out of people's pockets when into the snow and they just were like it's gone yeah they didn't see it and everything got buried we got a foot of snow mm-hmm. in town and, and yeah, then and there turned was, to ice. yeah, yeah. Then it was ice so yeah i think it was just an accumulation and then we found it uh the dog poop in my backyard <laughs> got unthawed in layers you know so i was like oh every day i'd find kind of the the next layer down as it melted so i think it was the same thing with the change <laughs> so, so, my, so i did i did find two of those quarters on a walk i took with john and uh, we were desperately looking for change on that run. And he said at one point, he said, Mom, if dog poop was money, mm-hmm. we'd be rich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to get the dog poop while it's still frozen, though, before it starts to melt too much. So you know, there's some timing involved with that. Yes, Dr. Molly Williams. <laughs> Thank you very much for that veterinarian tip. <laughs> um, so, all right. So in, uh, during our, our month of running and finding change, we did come up with a new rule. We just came up with it, I guess, on Saturday. Yeah, so the person on the inside lane tends to find more money. Mm-hmm. Not, not always. If you're running with Sarah, she may still find it on the outside lane, which is which is quite annoying. But so the new rule is if 
you're on the inside lane and you find money, then you switch with the other person. So right. then they, they get the inside lane. Now, if you find money in the outside lane, you stay on the outside lane. Right, right. right. Yeah. And also we did sort of, um, because I found we switched and then almost immediately I found change and, and we didn't switch. And then a couple, like probably a quarter mile later, you're like, wait, we didn't switch sides. I'm like, yeah, that's because I found it so fast. Right. So you got to keep on Sarah and make sure she doesn't cheat <laughs> is the moral of the story. But then another time we found change we're getting ready to switch and then i found change so because like sometimes the change is all there together yeah so then you're sort of like uh whose turn is it right right when we found when i found the penny and then you found the penny right yeah 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 yeah. and then there's also i mean sometimes even if you're on the inside track if the other person sees the money it's theirs it's not like we're running in lanes and whatever money is in your lane right but if typically you see it both see the money Yes. <laughs> there may be a dive for the money. <laughs> there may be an altercation. Right, right. There may so, be a discussion. So I am thinking I have put together, um, I've started to put together a list of tips on finding change. Uh-huh. I'm thinking it's going to be a blog post before too long. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. new tip we have is to look in the grass when you find money on the street to look at, because in the grass, we found right. that a couple times, right. right? We definitely found a lot of that because Saturday yeah. was our, was it Saturday or the week ago Saturday that we, I think it was a week ago Saturday that we found our most change ever, each of us separately. Mm-hmm. I found 79 cents, you found 75 cents. And that was our most fruitful run together, other than your, with the asterisk always for that $10 right. bill. Right. Um, and uh, so, yeah, and we found a, f- a fair number of those coins in the grass, like in the, park, yeah. they call it the parking strip here in Portland between mm-hmm. the sidewalk and the street. Yeah. So, so, all right. So, but there's tip. another rule that uh, is going around town that your middle daughter, Lucy. Yeah. So Lucy says that she started this. She told me that she started <laughs> this, that when she runs by a woman runner, she high fives him. Mm-hmm. And uh, she says it's really catching on. And now she sees other women running, high fiving. And <laughs> it sounds like the start <laughs> of a movie, like a I musical, know. like, oh, all these women high fiving or like a tampon ad. Yeah, or something. And, and it sounded like, you know, she's just decided to start it on, on Monday and now it's takeoff. I'm like, oh, this, this is you. So Ellie was sitting at the table when uh, Lucy was describing this. And Ellie says, oh. I was wondering what that was all about. Women are trying to high five me when I'm running. I didn't know. And so Lucy's like, yeah, I started that. So there you go. It's a new thing, ladies. It's a new thing. So bring it to your town. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Actually, tweet us if you do feel that, oh, my gosh, the cat keeps walking over my keyboard. Um, so tweet us, please, at SBS on the run. Um, Molly, are you still on Twitter? No, I had to delete it because I ran out of room on my phone. <laughs> Something's got to go. Yeah. Um, Although I, I was watching, um, yeah, I was on Twitter quite a bit for during the election process and afterwards, but yeah, I ran out of room. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you, so if you bring the high-fiving tradition to your town, or if you feel like people are already doing it, uh, please tweet to me at SBS on the run, or you can always tweet at the mother runner. Um, so, all right. And then we also, this morning when we were running before it got light, we did we did some more tallying, mm-hmm. and that was how many runners did not have any lights. Oh, it, it's just awful. <laughs> it's awful. It drives us and, nuts. And you can't see them until you're upon them. Right. And if we can't see them, you know, cars can't see them. And they if they have reflective wear on, it is not very reflective. And a, a couple days ago, we ran by some men runners, you know, that just came out of the dark. Mm-hmm. I mean, really surprised me. And I said, you you got, we cannot see you guys. Like, well, we can see you because we had As all the As if it was on. some criticism. Yeah. So please, 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 please wear lights. Take oh. lights. Oh, my gosh. So we saw the first seven runners we saw this morning. 
No one had any lights on. There was that one mm-hmm. guy who said hi to us. He was wearing a black jacket and black tights mm-hmm. and no light. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay. So are you robbing houses while you're running? Like, why are you being ninja runner? Right. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. So, uh, because... What got me thinking about it was, so I had charged my Nightrunner 270, which are my amazing shoe lights mm-hmm. that I wear, and I had charged them and forgot to put them back on my shoes. So I was heading out to meet you, walked down our back stairs toward our back gate, and my first thought was, oh, it is so dark. And I'm like, yeah, dark. That's because I'm not wearing my lights. So I went back in and got them. And I mean, finally, I stopped counting around 12. And of those 12, finally, the next five people we saw then had some sort of lights. But then like we saw that one, there was a, two runners... And their dog had a light on, but they didn't. The dog that was behind them without a leash, but right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start the tally of <laughs> egregious <laughs> things. But yeah, it's just like, I mean, safety first. Well, and my girls have wanted to run in the afternoon as it's, you know, it's getting dark around four o'clock. You know, they wanted to run in the afternoon without lights. And I'm like, no, no, you got to take like, I mean, it, any time of day, but in the afternoon when people are coming home from work and their minds are not on looking for runners, mm-hmm. I said, you have got to take a light. Then they really, really don't want to, but, but they well, have. Yeah. I mean, it's like Ragnar races or hood to coast. You, if you will be running after 5 PM and that's in August or, yeah. or a lot of them are in the summer that you have to take a light with you. Yeah. Yeah. Now Ellie uh, said, well, if I run on the sidewalk, do I need a light? Because I'm going to stop at the corner. And I said, well, I think still think you should take a light because then the cars can at least see that you're stopped be- mm-hmm. and where you are mm-hmm. and you can keep from tripping. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I also just think so much of running attire like that dude showcased this morning is dark. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I definitely try to wear my brighter vests or bright, mm-hmm. you know, I wore a bright yellow shirt this morning underneath my vest, you know, and Okay, so sometimes it's not the most fashion-forward look, neon colors, but it helps you be seen. Yeah, and you get a little glare on your um, your window, you know, of your car, mm-hmm. and it's sometimes it's hard to see subtleties in mm-hmm. in the early morning. So yeah. I, I see that going home um, from work. There, I go down MLK, which is a busy street, and people want to cross, and it's kind of dark, and I really just keep an eye out because they can. I've been surprised, you know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's somebody there. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we decided this morning that we would make a PSA. So that was our yes. PSA. So now back to your lights. Yeah. Yes. Now back to our regular scheduled programming. So, um, so, and the other thing we were going to talk about was, uh, that we both saw the same movie separately. Mm-hmm. Did you go with your husband? Did you go with John? I took the whole fam. Oh, you took the whole family. Yeah. Well, Lainey didn't not go. Lainey. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So, and the movie, and I saw it on Saturday night. The movie we were talking about is La La Land. Mm-hmm. And we had different opinions of it. Yeah. Um, so. I loved it. I thought it was a great old fashioned movie. I thought the singing and dancing wasn't that great. But uh, Ryan Reynolds and what's her no, name? No, Ryan Gosling. Oh, the other one. Oh, Ryan Gosling. And what's the one? <laughs> Who you saying? thought was uh, Bradley Cooper the whole time. Yeah. yeah. I always get them confused. <laughs> yeah, and Emma Stone. And Emma Stone. Yeah. I thought, I thought they were great and they had good chemistry. I really bought their love story, but they're not singers and dancers and and Mm -hmm. they really should have had broadway caliber singers and dancers but i like the slow pace i like the love story Mm -hmm. i like the music it really harkened back to uh earlier movies and uh doesn't have the it's not so phonetic like movies are today Uh frenetic yeah Mm -hmm. which i really liked and i as i was watching it i was thinking people aren't going to like this movie it's going to be too slow for them they're not going to understand it um, they're, they're not going to take the time with it. Uh, and I, the guys that made the movie 
I saw an interview with them and they said they can't, couldn't believe it got made, that they were actually able to make the movie they wanted to. And I can really see the craftsmanship in it and, and enjoyed it. You, on the other hand, th- I think your criticisms are the same as my, uh, yeah, the things the, I Your liked. observations, yeah. exactly. That I just felt it was so slow. I mean, I don't think I'm ruining anything by saying that up until the scene where they're they're at a Hollywood party outdoors and Ryan Gosling is playing in a band. I mean, up until that point, I was thinking, should I ask Jack if we can leave? Like, <laughs> it was just... And, and then we got shut out of seeing a 645 movie and because it's it's playing so many places here in Portland. And so... But we went to the one that was playing at 645 in park because they serve beer and I like having a beer while I watch a movie sometimes. Um, and it was sold out. So we had to go to an eight o'clock show. So that was, you know, a little on the late side for me to be seeing mm-hmm. a movie, but I thought, and the chairs were really comfortable and I thought, well, I could just put my head back and go to sleep. <laughs> and, um, I just found it so slow. I felt way too long. And I just felt like they really either needed to go all in with more movies, more singing and dancing or not make it a musical. Like, I mean, the montages where they're like dancing in the sky, like, ugh, yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, I thought, I do agree. Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling are adorable. And did you buy their love story? And did you get pulled along with oh, it? Oh, totally. And we won't ruin that. We won't mm. spoil the ending. But, um, oh, yeah, I got, I mean, I totally was feeling that. But, but I don't know, just... I just wa- I just wasn't buying a lot of the plot either. I just uh, no. So um, oh, I I understand. Yeah, no. I mean, and Jack was really disappointed by it too. Mm-hmm. He he would like every weekend. He's been saying, "Oh, please, can we go see La La Land?" And I'm like, "No, I'm tired." Or no, you know, the, I, mm-hmm. you know, we should spend the evening with the kids or whatever. And finally, then we're kind of like, eh, like that was it. I think if the dancing and the and the singing had been better, you might have liked it better. And I agree with you. It could they could have had more of that if it's going to be a musical? Let's have some more song and dance numbers. Particularly because it started out so strongly with that amazing scene mm-hmm. on the freeway, yeah, that was a which good I one. think was shot in one scene. I'm not positive. Yeah, I think you're right. I, that, so that it made it all the more fantastic. It mm-hmm. reminded me of one of my favorite videos of all time, which was the um, those college kids. I think they're in Canada who do the. Um, I got a feeling by oh yeah um, yeah mm-hmm. where and and they shoot it all in one long shot and so you think oh my gosh if that guy hadn't done that move on top of that car just like that they would have had to start it all over <laughs> you know and so um, I think if they had had more and and all obviously all those people were professional singers and dancers mm-hmm. so but I think if they had I don't know that they could have found anyone as adorable and believable as. Emma Stone and Ryan oh, Gosling. Well, I just think I think they could. They just weren't going to get the star power, and they went for star power versus. What do you think, Alex? Uh, Have you seen it? Versus Best movies I've ever seen. Wow. Did Our... you like the singing and dancing? Loved it. Yeah. Probably my favorite part. Yeah. Because but... it wasn't good. It wasn't. It, it yeah, it wasn't that good. Well, uh, there's a Netflix show called Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Have you seen that one? No. Um, she, she's a fantastic singer, and her dancing is fine but you can tell that she's had lessons and she knows technique she's a broadway caliber actress she's a little heavy but have her i mm-hmm. mean she would have she could have really uh sold those numbers and um you know i just thought they were both a little weak in that mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. maybe it's the, our kids have all gone to arts focus schools and not, so our bar's very yeah. high for yeah. dance and singing yeah yeah i'm i'm all about the musical yeah i've, I've seen them all and yeah 
Yeah, because I love old-timey movies. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, The Philadelphia Story is one of my all-time favorite movies. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, I mean, I grew up on slow black and white movies. So I, it's mm-hmm. not like I have to have everything going a mile a minute. I just, there was just too much. It was like, they say in Amadeus, there's just too many notes. <laughs> and <laughs> there actually weren't enough notes. And there were just, I don't know. Well, people can go and decide for themselves. Yes. And then, then again, tweet at me. Did mm-hmm. you? That's right. <laughs> SBS on the run. <laughs> I did. And so I really felt like I was taking a chance on Saturday night when I got back. I tweeted my dissatisfaction with the movie. And I was surprised by the. I thought, then when I woke up Sunday morning, I thought, what did I do? People are going to like rip me a new one. And a lot of people were like, oh, felt the same way. So have you uh, seen any of the other Oscar nominees? I have not. I mean, I have. I was when Jack and I were driving to the movie theater. I'm like, yeah. So I saw Trolls. And I saw Moana. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't think those are on it. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have either. I want to see Midnight. That looks really good. Uh-huh. I'd like to see Hacksaw Ridge and the Hell or High Water. Wow, look at you. You're doing a deep dive. Yeah. Have you seen those? Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Wow. That would be, to me, one of, like, I wouldn't even have been able to name that one. I think it's, is it a Western? Or has, it takes place in the West? There's modern day. Yeah. That's my milieu. <laughs> <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> so, yeah. Huh. Yeah, no, there aren't really even any that I want to see, I don't think. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Just not feeling it. Um, oh, my gosh. And then someone, I have to say, someone tweeted me the funniest SNL skit that I told you about with Aziz Ansario. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And uh, and about how he was being interrogated at the police station because they'd caught him saying that he was like, yeah, I liked La La Land. It wasn't great. <laughs> and, then, and then the, I think I might have forgotten to tell you this when they were like, oh, and what'd you think of Westworld? And the, the one, the, by this point, there's somebody else there in, in the room who also didn't like La La Land. And the, he and Aziz agreed that they didn't like it. It was too slow. And the cops are like, that's the point of it. <laughs> Westworld? Was yeah, Westworld. Yeah, they were like, the end of it, you know, the, the finale should have been the, the opener to it or whatever, you know, the premiere. So, uh-huh. yeah, I thought Westworld was, was really slow. I gave up on it. I, I know, which is amazing because to me, that was exactly your milieu. Yeah, the science fiction part. And I like science fiction, but I just, I wasn't getting into Cause it. Because you love Westerns. Yes, I love Westerns. So I had my husband watch it and then he, I would just have him tell me nice. what happened. Nice. And then I ended up watching like half of the last episode, you know, be one of those annoying people. So why are they doing that? Who's that? Oh, what happened? Oh, okay. Well, now why are they doing that? Well, you know, you can read recaps online. Like you wouldn't have had to. It's more fun to sit there and annoy your husband. Wait a second. Pause it here. Okay. So now what? <laughs> so I got I got the ending. I'm like, oh, I don't like the ending. Did <laughs> John, John backhand you at that point? <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, we're going to shift tracks. Um, before we bring on any guests, I think we should uh, lay it on the table where each of us are with our drinking. Yeah. Um, I'm a good drinker. <laughs> You're good I, at I, it. I, I'm good at it. I think you I are pra- better at it than I I've practiced uh, and I'm good at it. Uh, yeah. No, I've, uh, I come from a drinking family and I drank, I'm sure I binge drank in college for sure. And I continue to drink, but I don't binge drink anymore. Uh, I think for me, now that I'm 49, almost 50, um, I mean, I there are times when I've questioned my alcohol usage and how much I'm drinking. So it's something I do pay attention to. As I've gotten older, I've become uh, less inclined to drink uh, because 
I don't sleep as well. My mm-hmm. joints hurt a little bit more. Um, after I got out of college, I didn't go out and drink with friends very much. It's just not the kind of thing uh, I'm used to doing. So there wasn't that opportunity. So I, I think my drinking is kind of kind of slowed down. But you know, I have a drink probably four nights a week. And there are some nights it's more than one glass of wine. Um, I try to do my drinking. Because I go to bed early, I start drinking early. (laughs) So I'll start drinking. I'll have a drink when I get home from work sometimes or on the weekend, maybe at five o'clock. And then I usually stop drinking by the time dinner happens so that I just it's out of try to get it out of my system before I go to bed. So that's, huh. that's what I do, which is not, I'm not saying it's good. It's anything anybody else should do, but that's where I am. And mm-hmm. I pay attention to it. And, you know, I feel like I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. So I, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think sometimes when, um, I know that I sometimes think, oh, everybody's just like me. And that's like, oh no, not everybody just like me. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, rarely rarely drink at home Mm -hmm. um it's just something i um don't feel inclined to do i just don't feel the urge and i it makes me tired and um i don't know i also you know growing up i thought when i grew up i'd end up liking the taste of alcohol and coffee Mm -hmm. and i never ended up liking the taste of either of them so i don't actually enjoy alcohol very much Mm -hmm. so i when i drink it's when i'm out to dinner or yeah, I mean, like when I travel on business, sometimes I will just because I'm like, oh, I'm out, out in a restaurant and that mm-hmm. type of thing. But um, so it's either for me a, a pint of beer or a glass, maybe two of wine mm-hmm. um, and uh, always white wine. I'm not a red wine drinker. But, you know, it also started um, for me the um, curtailing drinking and being athletic for me are very intertwined. So, you know, I became a jock when I went away to college and certainly when I went away to college when I was able to drink legally because I was 18 and that was the, I was grandfathered in, in the state of New York where I went to school. So, um, but when I joined the rowing team and wanted to get serious about rowing, I was like, that's it. I got to Like my body is my temple and I have got to stop drinking and smoking pot and just, mm-hmm. you know, that was it. And so, and because also, um, my alma mater was is a big party school. Um, it's a fine institution of higher learning, but also, boy, it knows how to party. And I just really was turned off by that. Mm-hmm. And so I just was like, you know what, I'm just gonna kind of, you know, f you that. And uh, and so I just completely stopped all forms of that. Mm-hmm. And um, just kind of just felt like that's how I got serious about rowing. So I don't know. It took me a long time to then come back to drinking, and I go through periods where. I mean, I definitely won't drink for a couple months at a time, and I don't just know. Just because you don't have the opportunity. Yeah, and just don't have the inclination. Yeah. And it definitely, I mean, it totally disrupts my sleep. And also, I remember the one time I drank during the day. Um, I went to the famous Harvard-Yale football game, and uh, I had drank, I don't know, like 10 or 11 in the morning, and I was so tired that afternoon <laughs> and then like felt I had to restart my whole day. So I just had a really negative experience. So like for me to start drinking at four in the afternoon or something, mm-hmm. I would shoot the whole rest of my day. Like I just would go put on my jammies and call it a day. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, like you and I had that one, we, we went out for a walk one time. Was that in November maybe? And we, and we we're walk, strolling along a, a commerce street right near here. And we were just like, oh yeah. 
let's stop and have a beer. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like such a novelty. That's something I don't do. So she didn't go home and take a nap. I didn't, but I was I was definitely tired mm. um, and kind of less um, revved. I sort of thought, oh, I have to cook dinner now. Oh, yeah, that like definitely an, happens. Yeah. And dinner just seems like such a chore for me mm. after I've had a drink. Mm-hmm. You know, it just slows everything down. And also, I'm also a person, two things. Um, I'd rather eat my calories than drink them because mm-hmm. I love my sweets. So I'd rather have dessert than a drink. And Alex is nodding his head. Um, and also, I like to be in control. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to be on. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely like why I never, in college, why I never ventured down the path for anything harder than than pot was because I was just like, oh, no, 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 no. If I were to do mushrooms or, you know, mm-hmm. LSD, like, forget about it. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I make Colgate sound like a really deplorable you know, <laughs> place, but um, <laughs> not deplorable. Yeah, I like the relaxation. Um yeah, I, I'm I, like I said, I'm drinking less than I than I used to, but I'm not ready to give. I, there's no no good reason to drink, uh-huh. and I drink, you know, a little more at a party or something like that. Uh-huh. I definitely like to to let loose, but it's not not. I don't go out that often, so it's not that right. often that I right. get that way. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't always feel great about it. It's something I watch, something I pay attention to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, also before uh, we have uh, Dorothy join us, I want to say that we're going to mix in a few voice memos from other mother runners about their drinking habits. And But I'm going to admit that we didn't get nearly as many voice memos as I'd hoped for. And I was talking to um, a, a mother runner and she pointed out that she felt like most women would be hesitant to talk openly about drinking. And then once she said it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, who's really going to want to, you know, record their voice and be like admitting on a podcast that, you know, their yeah. drinking habits. So, That's a good point. so it was, um, disappointed by that. And then also, um, uh, so, so I apologize for not having as many voice memos as I had wanted. And, and I also maybe apologize for asking even because I felt, um, like maybe that was insensitive on my part. So, um, so we want this to be a non-judgmental show that perhaps jumpstarts a larger conversation that will continue online and perhaps in another episode. We're going to be joined by two guests, including Dorothy Beal, who's also known as Milepost. Stay with us. As I mentioned, the first guest to talk about drinking and running is Dorothy Beal, the well-known blogger and social media aficionado who goes by the name Mileposts. This mom of three has run more than 30 marathons with a speedy personal best of three hours and 11 minutes. Dorothy is an avid, candid writer who took part in the dry, hashtag dry January movement, abstaining from alcohol on the, for the month of January. Welcome back to our show, Dorothy. Hi, how are you guys? Good, good. Good. So as Sarah's alluded to, you've been on the AMR podcast before, but it's been a long time. So can you update us on your kids and how old they are and where you are these days with your running? It has been a little bit. Um, my daughter is now 10, my son Miles is 8, and then my other son Colton is 6. Um, still doing all the running things, still training for marathons, um, so not much else has changed other than uh, life marching on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what is Marathon 33? Is that going to be Boston? It is going to be Boston, yeah. I wow. just been asked to be on a team of all-female athletes to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Catherine Switzer running the race. So, um, Oh, how exciting. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, nice. What will be involved with being on the team? Do you know yet? Um, just kind of like promoting um, positivity with women and just kind of um, 
that women can do anything they put their minds to, um, which we already know this to be true, but <laughs> we're just going <laughs> to reinforce that and just kind of celebrate the fact that it's an iconic year and that, um, you know, if she hadn't have done what she did, who knows how long it may have taken um, for them to, to finally accept that you know, women can run marathons just as well, um, if not better, in my opinion. <laughs> than uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, isn't it amazing that was only 50 years ago? I know, it blows my mind. It's really hard yeah. to kind of um, understand these types of things. It, it, you know, it seems so commonplace to me, but it wasn't commonplace. Mm -hmm. so Sarah and I were talking that her mother wanted to take uh, basketball, right? She wanted to play basketball? Oh, right, yeah. And they basketball for girls because they decided it was too rough for them. Right, right. That my mother grew up in Ohio and uh, my mother was um, born right before the start of the depression. And um, she was, I was telling her about my daughter Daphne playing basketball. And my mother got kind of nostalgic. She was telling me that her two older sisters got to play basketball in high school. And my mom was all excited when she would get to high school, she'd get to play. But the state legislature was like, nope, too, that's too tough for girls to play. And so they uh, stripped high schools of their girl girl basketball teams yeah it's really crazy but it's also encouraging in a way that you know things that are going on right now um that maybe women aren't allowed to do or um don't kind of have the same um recognition that men do that you know possibly in my lifetime or in the next 50 years like that's going to be a complete thing of the past you know mm -hmm. yeah it's a good way of looking at it some some optimism we like that <laughs> Oh, um, so, um, as we record this, it's February 1st, so dr hashtag dry January is officially over. Um, do you feel you'll be having a drink this evening or no? And, and how would you describe, how would you describe your drinking before these recent dry days? Uh, I'm not going to have a drink. I'm going to keep going. I started a little bit before January 1st, um, mm. kind of to give myself a, a head start. So today is day 37. Um, mm -hmm. and it feels good. Like I woke up this morning and was like, oh, I, I guess I'm done. I could have a drink, but, um, I feel so good and so alive that I kind of just want to keep going for a little bit. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about, um, what your drinking was like before that. And I know you had gone on some dry spells in the past, but, um, you know, what was your drinking like and what prompted you to do dry January? Yeah, I think as my kids have gotten older and, um, you know, the stresses of life have increased. I was just turning to it more and more, um, not necessarily realizing that it was like a coping mechanism. I just was like, oh, I want to unwind or I really enjoy the taste of this or, um, you know, I like hanging out with friends and partying, which I think all of those things are true. But there's a point where um, I just realized that I wasn't kind of like sitting with my emotions and I wasn't dealing with the things that I needed to be dealing with emotionally. So I was like, mm -hmm. thought, you know, why not just give it a try? It's the perfect time. It's winter. We don't have a lot of um, outside social obligations and the ones that were going to come up, I could either not drink or get by with skipping out on. Um, mm -hmm. And also, I just didn't want to be that that mom that was waking up and feeling partially hungover and um, you know one day at the end of the year I said something to my daughter and I was like oh gosh when you grow up don't don't drink any you know adult drinks and she's like what and I was like oh adult drinks just sometimes if you have too many of them they don't make you feel good and you know kids are so matter of fact and she's like well I don't really understand why you drink them if they don't make you feel good and mm -hmm. it was kind of one of those yeah you're right 
like maybe I just need to take a break. So mm-hmm. um, it just perfectly coincided with a whole bunch of other people taking a break. So um, it just felt like a good time to do it. Good, good. Well, let's take a moment to hear a voice memo from Martha in Michigan, who also took a month off from alcohol. Hey, Bammers, this is Martha in Michigan. And I guess I would title my relationship with alcohol a very complicated one. Um, I never drank much in my younger years, not really in college, and really not anything of note until after I had kids and started running. Um, I think that the stress of life, um, the stress of going through a divorce, the stress of uh, work and all of those things that bammers deal with kind of got the upper hand on me and I started using alcohol to just kind of take that edge off every day to deal with anxiety and um, in the last six months I've really started to take a peek at that because I've got some big running goals that I'm going after and I feel like I've gotten everything else in my life in order. I've got my diet in check. I'm really going after the training, and I um, just had to ask myself if maybe alcohol might be holding me back a little bit. So um, that's the really baseline version of my relationship with alcohol. And um, I will say in the month of January, I've totally given up alcohol for, we're working on almost a month here. And I got to tell you, ladies, I'm feeling like a million bucks. Um, My workouts have been much easier. I'm hitting the paces I want to hit easier. And as much as I'm disappointed to admit it, it's probably due to the subtraction of alcohol. Um, I say disappointed because one of my favorite things to do after a race is enjoy a good beer. So um, definitely a work in progress, but um, always trying to better myself. And really, if there's something that's holding me back from a goal, I've got to take a peek at it. So hopefully there'll be some great info in this podcast. Really looking forward to it. So uh, what prompted you to, to do Dry January? You say you've taken some other breaks. <clears throat> when were those breaks and for how long? Um, there was nothing that was set. Um, it wasn't like, hey, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to tell people I'm taking breaks. It was just kind of like, you know, I think I'm just not going to do it for a while. Um, mm-hmm. I've done Whole30 a couple of times. So during those periods, um, mm-hmm. alcohol is not allowed. So... Um, those were 30 days that I stopped doing it. Um, and then there's been periods when, you know, after my third child was born, when you're taking care of three little kids, like the last thing I wanted to do was throw in drinking to that. I could barely keep up with three kids. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there'd be periods where it was like six months and I wasn't drinking. And then I'd be like, Hey, maybe I'm gonna have a glass of wine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, and do you think you'll ever go back to it or you think you're just done? No, I definitely, I mean, I enjoy a glass of wine. I live in Mm -hmm. an area in Virginia that's considered the wine country of Virginia. So, um, yeah, I definitely think at some point um, that I am going to have a glass of wine. I enjoy um, hanging out with friends and having a drink. But I think um, right now I've just seen so many positive benefits in such a short period of time that, I kind of want to keep going with it and um, just see where it takes me. So what are some of those positive benefits that you've seen both in your running and in your everyday life? 
Well, um, I don't have any wasted days um, of waking up and just having a headache because um, I had one too many drinks. I have lost five pounds in a month wow. and that's not even trying. Um, and I think it wasn't just the alcohol calories. It was that, you know, every time I drank, then it was like, oh, well, it just kind of like opened the floodgates. Sure. Like, I'm going to eat this or, you know, and a bowl of chips led to eating the entire bag of mm -hmm. chips. And then you look down and you're like, oh, that was 10 servings right there, <laughs> you know? So, um, and then I just feel good with um, on runs, but then even on days that I don't run before it was like you know I would use working out as a way to sweat it out mm. you know if I didn't feel good okay I'm gonna go for a run whereas I wake up every day and so if it's a rest day I'm not I'm not oh I need to go sweat it out or I need to do some crazy workout or you know I just go with it and feel good all day mm. um, and then I've also had to deal with so many like emotions of hey I'm really stressed out or this person's bothering me or, you know, certainly what's going on in the world. And it's easy to just kind of grab a glass of wine and forget about mm -hmm. it all. And so not having that glass of wine has made me had to sit down and think about how I feel. Um, and so I have a little notebook that I'll grab my notebook and I'll journal for a second and get out my thoughts. And mm -hmm. then I can relax and watch TV. And, mm -hmm. um, so I think it's just kind of a lot of personal growth has happened. Hmm. And I don't know if it's because it's coincided with the beginning of a new year. And so I was already kind of in that reflective place. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I just I'm enjoying learning more about myself and kind of my motivations behind why I was reaching for a drink um, and then also why I chose to take a break. So, so you alluded uh, previously about you were saying that when you're talking about social interactions that you have fewer of them now and you can, so maybe you're not going to them, but you also alluded to maybe skipping ones if you felt you couldn't drink. Do you feel that there's social pressure to drink? Because I was talking to a, a mother runner recently and she was saying how tough it is. She feels like she has to have an excuse for not drinking right now, that she's been telling people she's on a cleanse. And so that that way her friends are like, oh, she's on a cleanse, like whatever. That's why she's, you know, drinking a spritzer or whatever instead of the usual wine or beer or whatever. I mean, do you feel that from your friends or from your yeah, running? I think there, yeah, I think there is a definite, um, whether it's said or unsaid pressure to drink. And if you're not the person who's drinking, I think automatically people are like, oh, well, she doesn't want to come hang out. You know, she's not drinking. Hmm. And that's not the case. Like, I will gladly go and hang out and maybe it'll be a struggle at first because I'll want to have a drink, but I still can hang out and have fun. I think there's, you know, there's so many levels to that of, you know, maybe your friends want to be silly and they don't want to have somebody who's sober and remembers everything <laughs> they said or did, you know, uh -huh. like it's easier when you're drinking and a little tipsy or drunk to talk to somebody else who's tipsy or drunk because you wake up the next day and you're like, well, they don't remember what right. I said, you know, or they can chalk it up to being, um, to having too many drinks. Mm -hmm. Um, but then also, I mean, I think it's the same thing. I think you get judged if you're on a cleanse or if you're not eating this or if you're eating that, mm -hmm. like people just are going to put whatever their emotions are on you. And I think that, um, alcohol is certainly a hot topic. Mm -hmm. I know that um, when I first decided to do this, I posted on my Facebook page about how 
great I felt. Um, I don't know why I did, but I just felt the need to put it out there. And I was actually shocked at how many of my friends have been sober for so long and I just had no idea. Mm. And when I talked to a lot of them privately, they said, yeah, I mean, it's not like the cool thing to do to be like, hey, I'm sober, you know, and that it runs into its own problems of friends that drink that just really don't understand um, that you are the same person, you just aren't drinking. So um, I, I just thought it, I, it, it was so interesting. And I mean, some of these women I've known for years and just had no clue. So have you gotten some blowback from your friends? Um, I mean, I have some really great friends, so I think that they've all been supportive. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that they are so supportive that they kind of tiptoe around that, you know, when they talk about drinking, they're like, oh, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to tempt you or Mm. I don't want to, you know, hurt your feelings or I had a glass of, oh, sorry. Mm. You know, they're, they're so worried about it. Um, whereas I'm like, it's fine. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I don't have like an, a, an injury or like an ailment or something. Like I just decided to stop drinking for a little mm-hmm. bit, you know? Do like, you see these I'm friends outside of, of that type of social interaction? Like, do you see them at school and well, other places or is that your primary? I do see them in other places. I have noticed that I have definitely been hanging out with friends less Mm -hmm. that um, are drinking friends, you know? And then that also kind of delves into the figuring out, am I friends with somebody because we have a true friendship or is our friendship there because we both, you know, can finish a bottle of wine in a night, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Which is, there's nothing wrong with having friends that that's what you enjoy doing, but um, I think on a personal level, it was just good for me to analyze Mm -hmm. Um, you know, who my friends are, my close friends. Um, And honestly, I think this has made me realize that I was um, not paying enough attention to the people in my life that I wasn't Mm -hmm. hanging hanging out with while drinking. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that it's made me a better friend to um, the friends that I don't go out drinking Mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. How old are you? 34. Yeah, so you're at a point in your life where where things are changing, where you you're you're obviously you're hopefully you're out of college at this point. You know, you've got your family, and so your social interactions are going to change too. I remember having that feeling too like, you know, when you're in college, oh, let's go out and have a drink. And then once I had young children, like, I'm too dang tired to have a drink. I don't want to go out and have a drink. And then, yeah. you know, moving away from it. Uh and then those interactions change because well, I don't have that many friends anyway. You know, I, I see Sarah because I run with her. I uh, see people in my book group. Uh, and then beyond that, if I'm not having a drink with them, how am I seeing them? Yeah, well, and I think right now, um, I'm my eldest is 10. And so, um, you know, for me, now I'm at a stage where it's becoming easier to drink mm-hmm. because my youngest is he's not a newborn you know he doesn't need me every two seconds Mm -hmm. so I can leave for the night and go out and hang out with friends and that's not a big deal like it was before Mm -hmm. I don't kind of have that physical exhaustion that you have when your kids are so little Mm -hmm. now it's um, emotional exhaustion Mm -hmm. and I think emotional exhaustion can lend itself to drinking more often than um, a physical one does that's that's a really intriguing point and yeah. I find it so interesting how oftentimes you've said the word emotions during this conversation so that emotional exhaustion is leading you to drink, yet during dry January you examine your emotions more. 
and you've got the journaling going yeah so it just seems to me that this um stopping drinking has led to kind of a, a deeper dive into your emotions and kind of a more introspective couple weeks and perhaps months for you yeah it's honestly been really great i um think it just kind of happened at the perfect time i don't want to say i wish i had done it before because um, I think you don't always get the same result unless the timing is just perfect. And mm-hmm. um, it just happened to fall in line perfectly for me. So Good, good. And, and one final thing. I'm curious, have you heard from a lot of women on social media about this? Um, I mean, how open have you been about um, taking some time off from drinking? I haven't. You know, I'm one of those people that really prefers to talk about something after I've accomplished okay. it. Um, I think that it's so easy to get wrapped up um, in talking about something beforehand that we almost already get the satisfaction of doing it before we've ever done it. You know, Mm -hmm. that everyone says, oh, that's so awesome. That's so great. Um, And I kind of like the intrinsic motivation that comes from being able to complete something and then say, hey, this is what I did. This is what my experience was um so yeah so i have been kind of quiet about it um not for any sort of embarrassing reason or embarrassment reason um i just you know i guess part of me also doubted like could i really go this long without a drink but um but yeah so so i'm excited now that it's february um to to say i did it and to um keep counting my number up for um as long as i choose to do so well, awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing it with us and now the yeah. larger uh, women's running community. And um, we wish you well in your training for, for Boston and, and uh, the continuing on this um, sober period for yourself. So oh, absolutely. thanks so much, Dorothy. Take care. Thank you. All right. Well, before we bring our second guest, let's take a listen to a voice memo from Mary in Connecticut, who admits to enjoying a drink or two more freely now that she's not on a training plan. Hi, this is Mary Eberhardt from West Hartford, Connecticut, and I find that when I'm uh, on a training plan, like a 15-week training plan for a half marathon or something, I am very strict about not drinking at all until after my long run is done on Saturday, and during the rest of the week, I'm really, really avoiding alcohol. But this year, I just have a mileage goal for the year and haven't registered for any races yet, and I find that I'm more inclined to have a glass of wine during the week with dinner or a beer when we were out with friends. Um, So I'm definitely looser when I'm not in a training plan and uh, having a a few more drinks during the week than I would otherwise. Thank you. Next, we're joined by Natalie Hansen, a mother runner with four sons. She and her family live in Wisconsin. Natalie is a former music therapist and current nonprofit advocate. The reason we're including Natalie in this conversation is that Natalie is in recovery from alcoholism, and she's um, been that way since 2010. As a personal side note, I want to point out that Natalie is one of a handful of women who have been to both the AMR Run Plus Refresh retreats, and it was on our debut retreat when I first heard Natalie speak candidly about her recovery. Welcome, Natalie, and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you in this conversation. Yeah. We know you started running about seven years ago when you were 40. Tell us about your evolution as a runner. Well, I tell you, I grew up being um, a musician primarily, and that was sort of my identity. And I certainly logged most of my miles on a piano bench and the marching band field (laughs) until I was about 40. Um, And so it was not something that was part of my background or my history. 
Um, I had always been fairly fit, just active, living my life. But after I had our fourth son, I was 36, and I had just lost my father at sort of a young age. And I thought, you know, I'm not getting any younger. And heading into this next phase of my life, I want to be able to be that active mom. I want to be present and engaged in all of the things that my four busy sons and my husband are um, actively engaged in. So I thought, I want to start moving. Now, living in Wisconsin, I also um, always tried to avoid going outside at all costs because it gets very cold here in the winter. Oh, my goodness. But I sort of became of the mindset of if you can't beat them, join them. And I realized those four walls were starting to close on me um, with increasing frequency and intensity because um, four boys are busy and active and um, require a lot of stimulation and are needy and wonderful and messy. And I needed a break. So I thought I'm going to get out and just walk a little bit. I'm going to bundle up. And so I started walking and I realized how beautiful being outside in Wisconsin is even in the winter. And my senses just came alive. And I loved looking at the clouds and the snow and the sun. And so I started walking a lot. And I started walking enough that I thought, I really need to get this show on the road because I can't be <laughs> out here for two hours just walking around my neighborhood. So I thought, well, what if I started walking a little bit and then throwing in a little bit of running, whatever that is. So it was just a very incremental process over really, you know, more than a year's time that I just slowly made that transition from walking and running to a little bit more running to mostly running. And uh, then I had a good friend that thought it'd be a great idea for us to push strollers in a two mile fun run here in our hometown. And I said, two miles, like you think we could go that far? And she said, oh, sure, we can go that far. And so I took her at her word. And sure enough, you know, we got there. And I remember it just went by in a flash. And I was so excited. And I had accomplished something that I never thought I would ever be able to do. So that same friend um, gave me a gift I was never expecting, which was the gift of a marathon for my uh, 41st birthday, I guess. And so I thought, well, okay, Um, she assigned me up for this. I didn't know that was on my bucket list, but, you know, I (laughs) love running, so maybe I'll give it a try. Um, So in the interim, uh, I actually signed up and ran my first half marathon here in my hometown um, and really wasn't planning on running it. And I had signed up with our oldest son and I thought, you know, it'll just be a fun walk run for us. But once we got going and those heads started bobbing in front of us, we just got caught up in the crowd and the energy and pretty much ran that whole thing. Um, So I knew I was hooked right from the beginning and uh, went on to finish that first marathon and have since um, completed nine. My goodness. Wow. Wow. Um, So you've Uh, filled out your bio a little bit for me this week via email, and it was enlightening to find out that you didn't grow up drinking, that you pretty much started drinking around the same time you became a runner. So, Natalie, what prompted you to pursue kind of both those avenues in tandem? Doesn't sound like it was an intentional thing, perhaps, but um, like you admitted, for instance, you ran your that first half marathon incredibly hungover after hosting a Kentucky Derby party. That is right. Yes. And I would say that those two activities, increasing drinking or starting drinking and running were coincidental. 
Um, I don't think that one really affected the other. It just so happened that I was at a stage in my life where I wanted to move more, get healthier. And I was also at a point in my life where um, wine became sort of this new horizon, this new venue. I did not grow up drinking. Um, It wasn't a problem, you know, to drink or not drink in my family. Um, it, It was not very prevalent in my family. So it just never really interested me. And I felt like I was always really busy trying to be a good student and trying to accompany all the choirs and, and play music and, and do fun things that it just really never became an issue for me, even through college and graduate school. It wasn't until um, we moved to our, our permanent location and my husband got his first real job. Um, he took a lot of years training to get here. And so I had supported our family up to that point. And once we had our first little bit of disposable income, um, we started joining wine groups and we started having wine with dinner, you know, as we do, because it's fun, it's social. And I have to say, my husband is not alcoholic. He is um, normal, bless his heart. Uh, I feel like I sort of make up for what he lacks in that department. But um, thankfully, we are a, a family in recovery now and our kids are growing up seeing an alternative to drinking Um, We never tell them about whether they should or should not drink, but we're just trying to sort of provide them with an alternative and show them that it is, you know, a a choice that some people make for health decisions and, you know, sometimes for religious uh, reasons and and other Mm -hmm. things. Um, But anyway, the wine was great for a while, but then things changed. And it's such a subtle progression that you know, I did not realize that things were changing. And really in the beginning, the people around me, my family and friends, didn't really see that things were changing. But of course, um, because I have the disease of alcoholism, which is different than just heavy drinking. And, you know, people can go out and they can even have really bad consequences for their drinking, but not have the disease of alcoholism. Um, I started to get in a lot of trouble internally, um, a lot of um, exhaustion. It was really hard. I was living this double life of trying to enjoy drinking like other people, but really starting to drink differently than other people and not having a lot of awareness about that. Um, so hmm. fortunately for me, and this is very common for a lot of women who, who drink and especially who drink um, later in life, is that the, the progress, progression of the disease can be much more rapid for women than it is for men. And so um, my, my alcoholism progressed very rapidly. And even though I've actually been in recovery for more years than I was out drinking in my life, mm-hmm. um, it was stunning. It was a house of cards that fell down. And I am extremely grateful and fortunate that I didn't have any legal consequences. Um, Thankfully, my husband supported me and stayed by my side. So I didn't lose my marriage or my kids. Um, I didn't have a lot of embarrassing moments out there, although there were some. Um, Mm -hmm. But really, you know, people say, oh, well, I wasn't bad enough that I ever drank on the job. Well, at that point in my life, I was at home with little kids and I was drinking on the job, you know, whether it was Mm -hmm. in the evening after dinner and continuing to drink and sort of falling asleep before they did. um, You know, it did start to have an impact on on my family. And um, it's really hard to see that there is a problem when you have something that is telling you this is not a problem. You're just like everyone else that's out there. Everybody's having a good time. 
Um, and so it's very hard to recognize that things have become different. So what, what was it that, that made you realize things needed to be different? And when you talk about, um, you know, that there can be heavy drinkers and there are people with alcoholism, can you talk about how is it that, you know, is there a genetic marker or how is it that you know which category you fall into, fell into? Right. Well, the good news is that most heavy or excessive drinkers um, are about 30% of our population, but only about 10% of the world's population are alcoholics. Um, and the cur current terminology for that is somebody that has an alcohol use disorder. So you might see that now more um, in print. The AUD, alcohol use disorder, is um, sort of the equivalent of alcoholism. And the way that you know you have a problem is um, that you usually get feedback from those around you. And that can be in the form of um, a family member saying, you know, hey, why do you, why do you have to drink so much all the time? Or it might be in the form of a police officer saying, hey, do you know that you were going over the speed limit and what is your blood alcohol content? Um, you know, that was not my personal story, but, you know, that's how we start to get an idea. Now, if that were enough to make us change our behavior, then that would be great. And that's what people who fall into that heavy or excessive drinking category can do. If they have a desire to, they can successfully cut back or quit drinking on their own. If the consequences become too great or they decide it's just not worth it or I'm just deciding not to drink at this time or for this period of my life, they can do that. If you're alcoholic, you have lost the ability to judge for yourself how much you're going to consume once you start drinking and how and when you're going to stop. Um, so for me, what that looked like is that um, there were some concerns in my family, my husband, my parents, um, some of our close friends who started to notice that I was drinking more and that more importantly, my personality was starting to change and alcohol was starting to make decisions for me instead of me making decisions for me. Um, my husband and I were high school sweethearts. We just celebrated our 25th anniversary and have been together for more than 30 years. So we know each other mm. very well. And we're a team. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to a party a, a few months before um, I ended up getting help for my alcoholism when things were really deteriorating. And he and I had made a decision to leave together at the end of the night because he had to start working. And when that time came, I was not leaving that party. I was having the time mm. of my life and I looked at him and I said, you can go, I'm staying, I'll have someone take me home. And I remember the look in his eyes and I think I was unrecognizable to him. And it's because mm. that was so different and so out of character of how we normally interacted and how we made decisions. And I don't usually go back on my word. And so mm -hmm. that was the first clear indication that I was not acting in the way that I normally did. Well, fast forward, things continued to progress. Um, I started, I'm a blackout drinker and a lot of alcoholics are, which means that we lose the ability to remember things because our brain shuts down and doesn't actually create the memory. So it's different than passing mm -hmm. out where at the end of an evening, you know, you might just fall asleep, but the next day, maybe with a little prompting, it's what I call being Nancy Drew. You try to put the clues of your life back together. Um, for <laughs> alcoholics, we have the, um, 
terrible ability to put enough alcohol in our bodies or not have it metabolized the same way that it is in normal social drinkers to where it becomes so toxic that it shuts down our brain's ability to form the memories as it's happening. So let me just tell you what it was like seeing mm. pictures from family gatherings and social events that I didn't remember attending. Mm. Um, but of course, I didn't want to tell anybody that because then they might think I have a drinking problem. And it's really curious to me that, you know, when we have a problem with alcohol, whether it's just heavy drinking or a consequence from, you know, one night of over drinking and maybe we get pulled over for a DUI, but it's not, you know, all the time that we have a problem or if we are actually alcoholic, that we have no problem doing silly things in front of each other. We have no problem singing that funny karaoke song and lifting up our shirt or, you know, I mean, doing whatever, you know, people are doing. But to have to admit that I might have a problem and actually seek help for that, well, that's embarrassing. Mm. You know, mm. I can't let people know that, that I need help. And I'm a professional helper. Um, I, I practiced in a helping profession for many years of my life. And so, um, you know, if self-knowledge was enough, if I just had the knowledge about this disease and could have prevented it, that'd be great. But it's kind of like mm -hmm. telling a gynecologist, you know, a physician with all these great years of training and all of the, the medical knowledge that because of that, you will never develop ovarian or breast cancer. You know, mm -hmm. self-knowledge does not win the battle of addiction. Um, mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of times the alcoholic is the last one to know that things have gotten so horribly bad. So um, one thing I decided First off in recovery, once I sort of started, came to my senses and I was getting help, I had somebody tell me, I have decided I am here to save my ass, not my face. And those mm, words have stuck good. with me. And now, you know, I, I am an open book about my experience. Um, I am an open book about my recovery because I want people to know, in per particular, I want women to know. I want moms mm -hmm. to know and wives and sisters and doctors and lawyers and counselors and teachers, all of us women that are so successful in all these other areas of our life. And why can't I control this one thing? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it comes down to we have our, our youngest son actually has a tree nut allergy. So, for instance, he is very, very allergic to cashews and he has a very predictable allergic response when he has a cashew. He's going to get sneezy and his eyes are going to water and he's going to cough and he's going to break out in a rash. And if we don't intervene in enough time, he will stop breathing and mm -hmm. he could die from that. So we are very careful about helping him navigate um, that world to the best that we can. But I can tell you, if he is um, abstaining from cashews for 20 years and he has a cashew when he's 30, he's still going to have that same response. Mm -hmm. And so that's what it's like to be an alcoholic is that once you have manifested that disease where you can no longer control um, the amount of alcohol that you take or predict what's going to happen once you do start drinking, you can't ever go back to being a normal drinker. And that's the illusion that keeps people stuck and sick and unfortunately, mm -hmm. you know, ends a lot of lives. Yeah, yeah. So you've been sober for a, a while now, right? Several years? I have been sober for a little over six years. And wow. for me, that begins every day. You know, you can't bank sobriety. 
It's no. the decisions that you make every day. And before I even open my eyes in the morning, you know, I start with some prayer and meditation and I just, you know, I, I just say, thank you. Thank you for this sober life. And let me, let me be open to helping the next person in, you know, whether it's through my running or through my social interactions or through my work, through my family. I want women in particular to know that I'm a resource. I'm a safe place. And if I don't have the answer, you know, I'll at least be by your side and we will try to figure it out. That's awesome. And the only one that can make that change is you, right? Nobody can make it for you. Absolutely. You know, and I really don't have an opinion on other people's drinking per se. I really don't. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, the only person that I really have an opinion on uh, drinking wise is me. Because right. even the women that maybe I try to share my story with and I, I try to steer in a, a direction of help, if they aren't willing or don't have a desire to make those changes, you know, it's not going to happen. And so, um, you know, we kind of have to take people where they're at. And I think that's the frustrating thing for family members and friends is that when you see someone who's drinking is becoming harmful, you don't understand why would you do this to yourself? Why would you do this to your kids? Don't you see how you're hurting us? And the problem is, mm-hmm. you know, the part of our body that is affected in the, the disease of alcoholism and addiction is our brain. And our brain is a part of our body. It's just like every other organ and system, you know, and it happens to be the place where judgment um, is formed and where our thoughts mm. and our actions stem from. So when my brain is disrupted through a chemical disruption um, of addiction, I am not going to have good judgment. My behaviors and actions Mm -hmm. are going to be harmful to myself and other people if I'm not able to have good judgment. So it is is a very destructive disease, but I have to say there is hope. There is a a solution. There are multiple solutions. And I'm Mm -hmm. super excited that our Surgeon General Um, has just come out with the first ever report on alcohol, drugs, and health. Um, And it's it's urgently sort of raising awareness about addiction as a disease and its Mm -hmm. treatment and prevention. And so we're looking at it just like we would look at heart disease or diabetes or other forms of cancer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to take a quick break to hear a voice memo from Barb, who lives here in Portland. Um, I don't mean to make light of it. Her um, voice memo is um, how she feels a drink or two the night before a long run actually helps her the next day. Um, So let's hear from Barb. Hi, this is Barb Eisner from Portland, Oregon. Drinking and running. I have to say it is kind of complicated and it varies from training season to not training season. During a training season, I have found that after long runs on Saturday, sometimes a great IPA from a local brewery is just what my body needs to replenish some um, carbohydrates and some mostly carbs, I guess. On other days, before I go out for a long run, maybe a glass of wine, glass of beer in the evening before I go out helps um, on that evening before to relax me. Otherwise, um, not so much. Too much would make my stomach kind of curl and my head maybe ache a little bit, but I'm not opposed to um, one or two glasses of wine, one or two beers before my running, and it has not hindered me at all. It's actually sometimes helped me in my long runs, and that is my take on this. 
topic. So thank you. Bye-bye. So, Natalie, thank you so much for sharing with us. And and I know that um, you have strong concerns about how drinking is becoming tied to finishing a race, like having beer tickets automatically attached to race bibs and, right. you know, mar- half marathons that, you know, really kind of celebrate wine and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about um, that thought? Absolutely. Um, alcohol is popular. You know, we like alcohol because it produces an effect for us, at least initially, that is pleasant. Um, it makes us feel good. It decreases pain sensations. It is tied to celebration, and it should be. Alcohol, for the most part, is not a problem for the vast majority of people. And when it becomes a problem for some people, they're able to modify that. Um, and so I think people should do what they want to do. They should drink the way they want to drink. And my only um, little bit of input would be, but can we all be a little bit more mindful and aware of what we're doing? So that when we look at things like tying a a finish line bib with a beer ticket that you just rip off and go get your beer, I, you know, have a beer, have a beer tent there, but instead of making it so automatic, you know, is there a way that if you wanted a beer, you could take your bib and have it stamped so that there's just that extra step of, you know, what is, what am I doing? Do I Mm -hmm. want to do this? Or am I simply doing it because it's free? Am I simply doing it because it's what all of my other friends are doing? Um, You know, and there, there are people that are vulnerable um, and that may be questioning their drinking where in that elated state of having just finished a race, you know, that judgment might be a little impaired and it might be, you know, it is okay if I have that beer. And, um, you know, so instead of making it a sweeping, easy connection for people to make, I would just say, you know, do we have alternatives? And for me, I used to tear off my beer ticket and give it to another runner. And I thought, okay, mm-hmm. that's probably bad karma for someone like me to say, oh, well, it's a poison <laughs> for me, but good luck, cheers. Um, and so then what I have typically done is I just throw it away. But I've had this, this idea that what if we were able to provide like collection boxes for the beer tickets, and then maybe we could find donors or, or charities that work with partners that would give money per ticket that could go on to help you know, like the Heart Strides organization, give mm-hmm. shoes and running gear to moms that are taking care of chronically ill and, and um, disabled children. You know, is there a way that, that we can take something that, you know, we choose not to use and use it for the greater good? And, you know, it just sort of always goes yeah. back to one of my favorite quotes by Dr. Maya Angelou. And she says, I did then what I knew how to do. Now that I know better, I do better. And I just feel like that's, that that's my purpose. You know, I am just messy and imperfect. And I've had these life experiences that have been painful and been triumphant. And I'm on a big learning curve as a human being, just like we all are. And so is there a way that, you know, we can think differently instead of being so automatic about, okay, beer ticket, beer. Um, because there's also a very st- strong correlation that's made when we're in that sort of euphoric end of the race. Um, we have accomplished something, you know, let's admit it, we're a little dehydrated. You know, we've got the mm-hmm. endorphins and the dopamine are pumping. And then we want to intensify and extend that experience through alcohol. And, you know, that may be just fine for some people, you know, and, and I certainly would never be one to tell anyone that they should or shouldn't drink. But I'm just saying, 
is there a way to just kind of increase our awareness? Because, you know, alcohol is not a performance enhancer. And we know mm -hmm. that um, from the American College of Sports Medicine, you know, they list a lot of disruptions to performance from from sleep problems and dehydration and mm -hmm. it, it affects um, and slows down our muscle recovery and repair and you know all kinds of things and there's there's the weight gain right mm -hmm. um, and that I call it sort of direct and indirect you have the direct weight gain from adding hundreds of calories into your diet through basically empty calories but then you have the indirect effect of what I call nachos you know, it's that, it's that, <laughs> that third cookie is not going to be a problem for me. This tastes really good. And like, I might've yep. been able to resist those nachos two glasses of wine earlier, but now it seems like a really good idea. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that it's sort of a slippery slope, you know, and not to say don't have the, the shot of tequila, don't have the glass of wine or the beer, but maybe have water in between, or maybe um, mm -hmm. make sure you've eaten something before you start drinking. You know, there are ways that we can mm -hmm. kind of slow down that process and give our ourselves time to really think very intentionally about, you know, making informed decisions. Um, you know, alcohol is, is sort of tricky. And I have to say that the, you know, the World Health Organization has classified alcohol as a group one carcinogen. And, you know, why oh. didn't I know that? Why didn't I know that? Wow. And, um, you know, even slightly less than one drink a day um, can sort of be associated with an increase in the risk of breast cancer. Um, and there's a very direct link between alcohol consumption and increased risk of breast cancer. And that's been, um, you know, shown in study after study, hundreds of, of studies. I didn't know that, you know. I mean, there are lots of ways that I look to reduce my breast cancer risk, but I never knew that there was such a strong correlation between drinking and breast cancer. And I think that's something that women need to know about so they can discuss it with their doctors and they can make an informed decision mm -hmm. and sort of weigh their risks for developing breast cancer, their personal and family history versus any potential benefits and enjoyment there might be associated with drinking. So mm -hmm. it's sort of like, you know, we just need to um, become aware and educate ourselves so that we're making really good, you know, our best decision. Oh, that's great advice. So if somebody, if a woman were concerned <clears throat> that she really had a problem, where do you think she should start? With her doctor, well, family? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say, first of all, I would want to tell her, you are not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. This is something that affects so many women and men and young people. And if it isn't affecting you directly, I bet we all can think of a person in our life who has been negatively impacted by alcohol and drugs. Um, it, it's just, you know, it's always been with us and it probably always will be, but we are getting to a point where we have a better understanding of the disease basis and how to treat it. So I would say, first of all, you're not alone and there is hope and real help. Um, and I would say, you know, be your best advocate, um, start, with making a doctor's appointment. And it, you know, doctors have told me they expect patients are going to lie about their alcohol consumption. I did, you know, mm -hmm. well, how much are you drinking, Natalie? Oh, well, you know, the occasional glass of wine with dinner, you know, or two bottles of wine or whatever. You know, I mean, that part never came out, but you know, you, and then you take those, am I an alcoholic test on the internet? And I would say it's not how you score on it. Cause I lied there too, because I didn't want 
to wow. you know reveal the truth to myself that maybe I did have a problem with drinking. But I would say if you're ever led to looking at those questionnaires, you might get curious about your drinking because it might mm -hmm. indicate that you're wondering and wondering is right. a good thing because, mm -hmm. you know, I, if I notice that like a mole is changing on my skin, um, mm -hmm. I'm very likely to make an appointment with my dermatologist and get it checked out. And it's more than likely not a problem, but if it is, we're going to treat it, you know, and the mm -hmm. same has to hold mm -hmm. true that we have to start educating ourselves. So make that doctor's appointment with, you know, or a nurse practitioner, um, talk to a, a counselor, talk with um, a clergy person, talk mm -hmm. with your best running friend. Just say, mm -hmm. dude, what happened last Friday night? What, what was I like to be around? You know, mm -hmm. am mm -hmm. I drinking like you? Um, or, or confide, you know, what we, what we say on the road stays on the road. Hey, I'm having a really mm -hmm. hard time. I feel like I have to drink before I even go out to a party. Do you do that? You know, I mean, just kind of checking in. Um, I can tell you that unfortunately our family members are usually not, um, they say yeah. tools in our toolbox and that's because they yeah. just love us too much and they're not yeah. objective and it's not a fault yeah. of their own. If they could cure us of what ails us, they would in a heartbeat. But for some mm -hmm. reason, our defense mechanisms want to push them away and say, you're a threat. You don't know what you're talking about. So I would encourage people, seek out support groups, 12-step programs, you know, go on the Internet. Look up the Surgeon General's report and see what the recommendations are. Google treatment centers. Not that you are ready to pack up and go to one, but they offer tons of resources and free resources. Um, mm -hmm. We are so fortunate to live in an age where we have the world at our fingertips. We can Google anything, mm -hmm. you know, put in a couple keywords and see what you come up with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Natalie, for, yeah. for being so candid and informative. And um, I'm just really glad that you were part of this program. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you Thanks. so much. It's, it's a pleasure. All right. Well, I know at the beginning of this show, I said that uh, maybe it was my uh, mistake for asking for voice memos uh, to be added to this, but I am still really hoping that you'll send voice memos for a different show, uh, upcoming podcast, one we're recording next week. And it's about working non-traditional hours while managing to fit in running or training. And I'm uh, on the podcast going to interview a variety of women in jobs that aren't nine to five, including a dairy farmer, a midwife, a nurse, and NPR correspondent Tamara Keith. And I want to hear from you on how you fit in runs, maybe after a night shift, being on your feet all day, or working several jobs. Please record a voice memo that's one to two minutes long and starts with your first name and where you live. I need the voice memo by noon Pacific time on Tuesday, February 7th. Please email them to shopgal at anothermotherrunner.com. To repeat, a voice memo should be one to two minutes long and start with your first name and where you live. I need them by midday Tuesday, February 7th. Email them to shopgal at anothermotherrunner.com. Thanks in advance. I really, really hope to add a lot of voices to that show. And also remember, check out the amazing programs kicking off in the Train Like a Mother Club at trainlikeamother.club. Many happy miles to you. <laughs>